Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. I'm excited about, uh, excited about this series, excited about closing it out this morning. If you've got um, a Bible, you've got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament this morning. In case you're unaware, the Bible's divided into these two large portions of Scripture. You've got the Old Testament at the front of the Bible and then the New Testament toward the back of the Bible. And we're going to be in the third book of the New Testament, which is the Gospel of Luke. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we call them the Gospels because gospel means good news. And the reason those four books in particular are such good news is because they tell of the the story of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be there in the third gospel, Luke um, chapter 22, and we're going to land there in just a minute. So um, I have absolutely loved this series, and I've loved preaching it. I've loved studying and preparing for it, and it has been um, super challenging and encouraging to me, and I hope that it has been that way for you. And so today we're, we're going to close it out. Um, but this series has all been about uh, um, that this is week five and of this series that we've called um, Creature of Habit, and it's all been about uh, us stepping into uh, the new life that Jesus has for us. And so we leave our old way of life behind. And in order for us to do that, there's some new habits that you and I need to develop so that 2020 can be our best year yet. Can, can I get anybody to agree with me on that? Anybody wanting that, believing that for their life? Yeah, so, so there's these new habits that we need to develop. And oftentimes, Uh, particularly in the church circle, whenever we talk about developing new habits, a lot of people think of like committing to church attendance and spending more time reading your Bible and praying or fasting and things like that. And, And don't get me wrong, all of those things are incredibly important. All of those things are 100% integral to the life of a growing believer in Jesus. But those are all kind of outward behaviors, outward habits, and that's not what this series is particularly focused on. Instead of outward behaviors and habits, this series has been focused on some inward beliefs and behaviors that we've got to get right inside of our own heart so that we can become that person that God is calling us to be. And it it all stems from this one verse that is a part of Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth that he wrote, um, and you can find it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where Paul says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so when we step into faith in Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that that God comes in and he cleans up the old us. That's not what happens at all. Instead, when we step into faith in Jesus, we are completely transformed into a brand spanking new person, a brand new creature that is now on track, on a trajectory um, to, to enter into the future that God has in store for us. And all the way back in in part one of this series, we talked about the difference between regret and repentance. And we learned that regret 
just gets us in this vicious cycle that repeats over and over and over again. We sin, we regret it, we sin, we regret it, we sin, we regret it. And that ultimately, that leads to death and destruction. But that when we choose to develop the habit of repentance, which means that we let go of that old way of life, we let go of those sins, we turn our back completely on them and we move in the other direction, that rather than resulting in death and destruction, that that leads us to life. And then in part two of our series, we talked about the difference between condemnation and conviction. And that condemnation is the club of all of our past sins and mistakes that the devil wants to take and beat us over the head with it over and to remind us of that person that we used to be and how we'll never live up, we'll never measure up, we'll, it'll, it'll never add up for us. But yet conviction is the reason that God sent the Holy Spirit to us. And the Holy Spirit serves as kind of like a GPS that, that it helps to reveal where we are in relation to where God wants us to end up. And then it, it, it teaches us and guides us and leads and directs us the steps to take in order to arrive at that destination. And if we get off track, it simply recalculates and recalibrates and gets us back on the path that you and I need to be on. And then in weeks three and four, we talked about the difference between religion and relationship, religion and relationship. And we came to the conclusion that religion was following all of the rules so God will love us, but that relationship was following all the rules because God loves us. And that when we step into a true relationship with Jesus Christ, we put that old way of life to rest and we no longer want to live that way. Instead, every single day that we engage in our relationship with Jesus, that we're moving further away from that old way of living and more toward becoming what Jesus is and, and who he is and becoming more like him. And and the question, though, that, that remains at the end of this series is that, is that yeah, so let's say that, that we have, in fact, we've chosen to live that kind of life and that, that the, the, the habits of repentance and conviction and relationship are ones that we have chosen to live and everything. That, that's all well and good, but the, but the tension is, is what happens for you and me and, and how do we respond when that old way of life wants to sneak back in and rear its ugly head from time to time? Because what you and I need to understand is that just because we've chosen the habits of, of, of repentance and, and the habits of conviction and the habits of a relationship, it doesn't once and for all put that old way of living to rest. Like It's still out there and, and it's still wanting to draw us back in to lead us away from becoming like Jesus and to get us back to living the life that once upon a time we used to live. So what do we do when from time to time the old way of life shows up? And we stumble and we get ourselves caught up into the mess of how we used to live. And so for the next few minutes today, I want to talk about the difference between failing and falling. The difference between failing and falling. So 
Today is a very special day. Um, there is a lot of stuff going on this morning outside of just the fact that it's Sunday and it's church and that we're closing out this series. Today is also Groundhog Day. Happy Groundhog Day, everybody. Um, in case you're unaware, uh, uh, Puxatani Phil, or however you say his name, um, that, uh, that dapper little rodent, he po- uh, poked his head up out of his hole this morning, and try as he might, he could not find his shadow. And so for you and for me, that means that spring is going to come early. Can I get an amen, amen. from anybody in the house? Yes. Spring is on its way. Um, Not only is it Groundhog Day, but it's also Palindrome Day. And palindrome, for those of you that are unaware, a palindrome is anything that is the same forward as it is backward. So like race car or taco cat, or now you're thinking about tacos, right? And like where you're going to go for lunch after church. Um, But today's palindrome day because when you think about it, like the date, today's date is 02022020, but then backwards, today's date is 02022020. So any way you look at it, um, and that doesn't happen very often. See, you never know what you're going to learn when you show up to Christ Walk Church um, on Sunday morning. But then also, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Where are my Chiefs fans? Chiefs fans, anybody? There's no one here that's a Chiefs fan? Nobody? I think Kim might be a Chiefs fan. I told her, I said, I'm surprised that you're not decked out in red and gold with like a full feather headdress on, like with tomahawks and everything. Um, what, about, what about my 49ers fans? Anybody? 49ers fans in the house? Nobody. Nobody. I think they're scared that you might fight them if they admitted to that, admitted to that. Now, now be honest. How many of you had no idea it was the Super Bowl Sunday this morning when you woke up and you just learned it because you heard somebody else say it? That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. But it's a, it's a big time Sunday, um, a big time, big time day. Uh, we are serious about our football um, here in America, particularly in the Southeast. Um, you know, here, here in the Southeast, we are serious about, about football. And, and um, two weeks ago when, when uh, the, the Super Bowl teams were decided, um, things already went into motion. And so uh, uh, for the past two weeks, literally around the clock, um, in the Chiefs camp and in the 49ers camp, there have been like grown, man, grown men that are getting paid like, to, to sit and watch hours upon hours upon hours of game film and footage because they're trying to figure out what they can do to, to give their team the upper hand and to get their team the advantage. And so they're looking at different scenarios and situations. And, and when, when they line up like this on offense, they're going to run a play that's like this. Or, or when they're on defense and they're like this, that means they're running the cover two or they're doing like all of these different things. And so when they do this, we want to do this. And, and when they go that way, we want to go this way and everything. All just so that we can get an oddly shaped piece of pigskin around and up. Uh, across an imaginary line that some dude painted there just a couple hours before the game started, right? It's crazy. And for the past two weeks, like, that's been, like, the focus. And so tonight, the tension is going to build, and the the kickoff is going to happen, and then these two teams, they're going to engage in this battle together, all with the hopes of winning this game. And you know what? I've I've discovered, I I think that I've, I've come to the conclusion that, that, 
something that would be way easier than spending all of that time watching all of that game film and footage and trying to guess what the other team was going to do. You know what, I, you know what would be even better than that? Like, what if you just had like a copy of the other team's playbook? Like, that should really be, you know, but apparently, like, the Chiefs and the, the 49ers, they kind of keep that under lock and key. They don't just give that around freely. But, but how easy would it be if you, like, had the playbook right in front of you and you knew this is the play they're going to run? They're going to hand the ball to this guy, and he's going to run through this slider. They're going to pass it over here, whatever. How easy would it be to overcome and to defeat somebody like that, right? Well, the good news is, is that for you and for me, we've got our opponent's playbook. We know the enemy's playbook. We know what he is going to do. We know how he is going to try to attack us. And the devil's playbook is, is simply this. Number one, it starts off with good news. The good news is, is that he can't defeat us. We've already won. So the devil, he's unable to defeat us because he's already been defeated through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He cannot defeat us. And so there's nothing that we can do to lose the game. So we already start out as victors today. But despite the fact that he can't defeat us and the devil knows this, since he can't defeat us, what the devil wants to do is instead, this is his playbook right here. It's two things. He wants to discourage us and he wants to distract us. That's what he wants to do. He knows he can't defeat us, but in the meantime, he wants to discourage and he wants to distract us. And the way that he does that is by lying, lying. The way that you can tell if the devil is lying is that his mouth is moving and words are coming out. That's how you know. That is a surefire indicator because in, in John 8, John writes this. He says, the devil has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. You know, just once, I wish John would really tell us what he thinks about the devil right there. Like, like it just keeps getting worse. That when he lies, it's consistent with his character. That that means that, that the devil, like that's his makeup, that, that he is a liar and that he is the father of all lies. And so he wants to distract us. He wants to discourage us by, by telling us lies and, and tricking us into buying into the lies that he tells. Here's some of the lies that the devil will whisper in our ear from time to time. Maybe you've heard this in your own life, maybe you've experienced something like this, but the devil will tell us things like, you know, God doesn't want you to have any fun. He'll say things like, you're never going to be healed. You're never going to get that promotion. You're never going to be able to overcome that addiction that you've been struggling with. He's going to tell us lies like, your spouse would have been so much better off marrying someone other than you. He's going to whisper the lies in our ear of, you're an awful parent, and your kids are going to end up messed up because of you. He's going to tell us the lies that cause us to believe that we'll never be good enough, that, that other people will never be able to accept us for who we are. He's going to whisper the lie in our ear that God doesn't love us, that God's mad at us because of the way that we once lived because of how we've turned our back on him, the things that we've done that 
We're never gonna be able to rise above that. He's gonna tell us the lie that no matter what, we are never going to be able to get past our past. Because the devil wants nothing more than to convince you and me that we are nothing but a failure. But I came here this morning to tell everybody that there's a big difference between failing and falling. It's a big difference between failing and falling. And Jesus actually talks about this in the passage that we're going to read for today when um, he addresses a situation that's taking place with one of the 12 disciples named Simon Peter. Um, And so we're just going to read just a handful of verses out of Luke 22, but we're going to jump there together and we're going to start reading in verse 31 and read through verse 34. Starting in verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Verse 33, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Perhaps many of you know this story. Many of you have read the following verses. You kind of know how it ends up. But here we have this guy named Peter. He's one of the 12 disciples. In fact, he was the first disciple that was called by Jesus. Not only that, but he was in the inner circle. Uh, He was in Jesus' inner circle. Not only did he have the 12, but then he had three, Peter, James, and John. And and Peter was among that group. And and, um, Peter was the disciple that uh, when Jesus was walking on the water, he was the one that got out of the boat and he walked along the water to Jesus. Peter was this, this incredible, incredible disciple, and, and for, for three years of his life, he had, he had left everything to go and follow after the Lord. And so he'd spent this time in a, in a very upfront, up close and personal, face-to-face um, kind of relationship with Jesus for the past three years. And in fact, Jesus even told him, he said, Peter, you are the rock, and on that rock, I'm going to build my church. But yet it's here in this moment that, that Peter, he, his, his desires are clear in, in who he claims to be and who he wants to be. That he wants to be this person that, that no matter what happens, no matter what the enemy brings his way, that, that he's willing to go to jail. He's willing to give up his life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And he is 100% dead set convinced that that is how things are going to go. But yet Jesus, in the midst of that, tells him, he says, no, like, before this night is over, you're going to deny me, not just one time, but three different times, and try to convince other people that you don't even know who I am. Like, put yourself in Peter's shoes, like, 
here is all of this time that he spent and everything, and he knows what he feels inside of his heart. He knows what he believes in his head, that he is going to be the kind of person that will never stop following, that will never give in, that's willing to go to jail, that's willing to die and everything. But I think the thing that probably hurt and frustrated Peter the most is that he'd spent enough time with Jesus to realize that Jesus never got it wrong. And so when Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times, he had to look on the inside. Peter was forced to come to terms with who he really was going to be, despite who he wanted to be. And later that evening, Jesus was arrested, and as the evening plays out, Peter ends up doing just as Jesus said, denied him not just once, twice, but three times. And I can imagine in that moment that that's where the enemy came in and began to whisper those lies to Peter. The past three years were a waste. You're not a real disciple. You're not a real follower of Jesus Christ. All that stuff Jesus told you about you being the rock and, and, and that, that he was going to build his church on you, well, that can't happen anymore. Your future, it's over, it's done with because you chose to deny him. There is no hope for you. There is no redemption for you. It was at that moment that Peter felt, and often how we even look at him in that moment, that he was a failure. But the truth of the matter is, is that you and I are gathered here in this place today because of the work of Peter We know that that wasn't, when we read ahead in the story, we know that that wasn't the end for him, but that he was very much involved in in building and advancing the early church in the world, and that despite that shortcoming, that God was still able to use Peter. And so I, I hope that that gives some hope and encouragement to somebody here today that no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've turned your back on Jesus, that there is still hope. You can still be redeemed and God can still use you. So maybe you're in the midst of something like that today. Maybe you're, you're struggling with how to deal with your old way of life. Maybe this past week it's reared its ugly head and you found yourself stuck back in the middle of it. I want to give you some, some nuggets or some, some confidences that we can take away from this short passage of Scripture. In fact, there's, there's five of them. So five confidences from these handful of verses that you and I can have when our old way of life shows up. Five confidences you and I can have when our old way of life shows up. The first one is simply this. Satan has to get God's permission before he messes with us. Satan has to get God's permission before he messes with us. Notice in verse 31, Jesus tells Peter, he says, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. That means that if Satan's going to do anything to us, if, if he's going to cause any kind of calamity or whatever, he, he's got to get the approval of God first. And that means that when, when, we, when we face struggle, when we face adversity, it's not God doing those things to us, but it's God allowing those things to happen. And I believe that, that God allows those things to happen because he knows that deep down we are committed to him. 
And he knows that the devil has already been defeated. He knows that the work has already been done. And so, so there, is, there is no worry. And, 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 and none of those things are happening to us without God being aware of them. Because he has allowed the devil to do them. And I also think that, that for the people out there that they're living their life uh, um, uh, with their back turned to God and, and they're just doing the things that they want to do and, and they're headed on a path straight to hell, I don't think that the devil messes with them all that much. I think the people that he's going to God and asking permission to mess with are, are the ones that, that do have their arrow pointed in the direction of God and are trying to distance themselves from that old way of life and make strides to become more like Jesus. And so the devil, he's got to get God's permission before he can come in and cause a ruckus in our life. And so that's what's happening here with the disciples and particularly with Peter. And Jesus is saying he wants to sift you like wheat. And that was a reference to the process of, of how they harvested wheat back in that day. The first step would be to plant the seeds, and then the second step would be to actually to, to, to cut down the, the wheat out of the field, and then they would bring it, the third step, they would bring it to a place called the threshing floor, and this was a hardly compact area of earth, or maybe like a, like a really big rock or whatever, and they would lay out all the stalks of wheat on it, and they, would, they had these, these tools, these instruments that they would just beat it to death. They would pulverize it. Or they would, um, in some cases, get their animals to trample across it. Or, or even they would hook up these, these things on the back of their oxen or their donkeys. And, and it was um, uh, these big kind of like trailer pull-behind things, like a, like a sled with, with metal and rocks and everything that would drive over the wheat. And it would break apart the wheat and, and, and tear it to shreds. And then the fourth step is they would get these things called a winnowing fork. It's kind of like a pitchfork, and so once it had been, once the wheat had been threshed, they would dig into to heaps and piles of it with the winnowing fork, and they would toss it up in the air, and the, the wind would blow away the chaff, but the good grain would fall back down to the threshing floor. And then the fifth and final step was once the wheat had been separated from the chaff, there were still little, little pebbles and, 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 and mud and dirt that was connected to the grain. And so they would put it in this thing called a sieve. And it was like a big, uh, a big wooden frame with, um, with some sort of kind of a mesh thing underneath it. And the only way to, to separate all of that stuff was to put all of the wheat in there and then to shake it violently. And then over the course of time, over the course of being shaken, it would, those, those particles would fall away until in that sieve, all that you would have left would be the good pieces of grain to be used for baking breads and, and putting them in the food and uh, things of that nature. And so it's, it's this word when he says, when Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift each of you as wheat. The, the original word there in the Greek is siniazo, and it means to shake in a sieve, or it means inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of being overthrown. Inward agitation to try one's faith to the verge of being overthrown. That, that Satan wants to, he wants to cause our foundation to be unstable. He wants to shake us violently so that he can come into our life and take control. 
so that our, our allegiance to the Lord will be overthrown. And, and how he does this is, is with lies. It's with the lies of discouragement and distraction. And it'll often rear its ugly head in terms of maybe broken relationships or poor health or some sort of financial crisis or something of that nature that the enemy wants to come in and separate us away from the Father. But the confidence that you and I can have is that in the midst of all of those things that he's had to get God's permission first. And so he's not flying under the radar. God is well aware of the things that are going on in our life. The second confidence that you and I can take away is not only does Satan have to get God's permission before he messes with us, but number two is that Jesus knows that we're going to fall from time to time. He knows that we're going to let him down, but he loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. Verse 34 says, uh, Jesus says to Peter, you will deny three times that you even know me. He doesn't say you may deny. He says you will. He knows it's going to happen. He's speaking about this even before it's taken place. He knows that we every now and again are going to let him down. We're going to miss the mark. We're not going to hit the standard. Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Romans in chapter 3, verse 23, where he says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. A couple chapters later, Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, he says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. See, Jesus didn't, didn't come to the cross to, to, like, once we had gotten it figured out. No, like, we were still sinners, and God sent his son to us because he loves us so much that even when we've missed the mark, even when we haven't gotten it right, he still loves us. So the first confidence that we have is that, is that the devil has to ask God's permission before he messes with us. Number two is that Jesus knows we're going to fall, but he loves us anyway. The third confidence is, is simply this, is that Jesus is praying for us, for you and for me, that our faith would not fail. In verse 32, Jesus tells Peter, he says, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And yes, he was specifically talking about Simon Peter right there in that instance. But in John chapter 17, right before Jesus goes to the cross and he's, he's spending time in prayer with the Father, he could have prayed about a whole bunch of things. But do you know what he was praying about? The last, the last minutes that he had with God the Father before he went to be crucified. The thing that he was praying about in John 17, he was praying for you and for me. He was praying for all of his disciples. And, and he even says in that, in that passage, he says, I'm not, I'm not just praying for those that are here with me now. I'm praying for everyone who will ever believe in my name because of them. That's us. And in John 17, verses 9 and 15, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me. He's talking about us. Because they belong to you. In verse 15, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. That's what he's praying. He's saying, when the devil comes and attacks them, protect them, strengthen their faith, help them not to fail. That's what he's saying. 
So Satan's got to get God's permission before he messes with us. Um, Jesus knows that we're going to fall, that we're going to let him down, but he loves us anyways. And, and out of the overflow of that love, that he is praying for you and for me, that our faith would not fail. That when you're facing a struggle, when, when, when that old way of life wants to rear its ugly head, that right now on the throne up in heaven, Jesus is praying for you and for me, that we would be able to stand firm in our faith. The fourth thing is this, the fourth confidence that we can have is that because of Jesus, we're given a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance and on and on. He says it right there in verse 32. Jesus tells Peter, he says, so when you have repented and turned to me again, Look, Jesus knew that Peter was going to miss the mark. Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed, before that day was over. But that wasn't the end for Peter. Jesus is telling him, hey, I know you're going to do this, but when you have repented and returned to me again, that means that because of Jesus and that in Jesus and through Jesus, we're always given a second chance. We serve the God of second chances. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all that unrighteousness. And I've got news for some people today. That's not just a one-time thing. Imagine, like, what good would it have been if, if Jesus came to die on the cross to forgive us just once? Just one time. That took care of our sins one time. No, Jesus came to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins for all time. That means that like no matter what, like we just keep coming back to him and we keep coming back and we keep coming back. And if we will confess our sins, he is faithful to his children. And he's gonna forgive us and cleanse us every time we approach him. Because of him, we're given a second chance. The devil's got to get God's permission. Jesus loves us even though we fail. He is actively praying for us that our faith would be strengthened. Because of Jesus, we're given a second and third and fourth chance. And then the fifth confidence that we can take away from these handful of scriptures, this is my favorite one. It's that Jesus will use our experiences to encourage and inspire others. Jesus will use our experiences to encourage and inspire others. Verse 32, Jesus says to Peter, When you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers. That means that the, the situations in our life, like when we stumble and fall, when we miss the mark, when we don't get it right, but yet we come back to the Father because he's the God of second chances and, and we, we surrender that to him and, and he forgives us and cleanses us and everything. Then what he wants to do is he wants to use that as part of our testimony to encourage and inspire other people. 
that the things that we've walked through can bring hope to other people. Like, yeah, there was a time that I didn't always get it right. There was a time that I missed the mark. There was a time when I fell short, but God loved me and he accepted me and he was still able to use me in spite of it. And because he's done that for me, he can do that for you as well. So whenever we miss the mark, that doesn't disqualify us from God being able to use us. Instead, he wants to use that as an opportunity to make a difference in the life of someone else. There was a runner in the NCAA back in the mid-2000s. Her name was Heather Dornadin. And she actually was on the track team at the University of Minnesota. She ran for the Golden Gophers. And it was in 2008 at the Big Ten um, National Indoor Track and Field event that she was the favorite to win in the women's 600-meter finals. And I believe that it was in that race that she saw these principles be made evident in her own life. And in in case you don't know this story, and maybe you've never seen this race, I'd like to show it to you. So if you would, check out the screen. The 600-meter underway, Heather Dornard in Minnesota finished second this event a year ago. She was in lane four. And Dornan is probably going to be your favorite. She actually won the NCAA championships in 2006 in the 800, but she only won one Big Ten championship in the two years. Three laps in this event, 600 meters, three times around the 200-meter track here at the field house. What a bold move by Fallon. She's looking very confident, and the Penn State runner is just running amazing today. She did win her heat in the 400, but ended up taking fourth overall. That's Fawn Dorr moving into the lead, a sophomore from Penn State. Dornadin running second. Dornadin last year scored 23 points for the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten Championship, so they're really relying on getting a lot of points from her this weekend, and she's just coming by Fondor now in the home stretch, heading into the bell lap. Gordon falling down gets up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Gordon is flying down the back she stretch. Is she catching is catching up. She is going to catch Fondor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. But she's got fun. This is a gutsy effort by Gordon. Can she pull it off? She's moving to third. is amazing to, to fall in a 600 i mean this is basically a sprint i mean this is an extended 400 basically but to fall with 200 meters to go and get up and win that is unbelievable unbelievable <laughs> proverbs 24 16 says the godly may trip seven times but they will get up again heather's story is that falling doesn't have to be final And that's the story of this message today. Simply put, the difference between failing and falling is whether or not you get back up. The difference between failing and falling is just whether or not we get back up. 
So I believe the Lord wanted me to just communicate three very simple words to some people this morning. Get back up. It's as simple as that. Look, when you fall, when you miss the mark, the choice is yours. You can lay there and you can believe the lie that it's over or you can get back up and keep on going. The choice is ours. And the reason that we can get back up because of the love of our Heavenly Father who sent His one and only Son to die in our place so that when we fall, that doesn't mean we fail. It's because of His blood that was poured out of the cross of Calvary, because of His love, because of His grace that we can get back up, dust ourselves off, and keep moving forward. Don't you listen to the lies of the enemy. No, instead, we're gonna put our feet on the firm foundation of his love for us. And as we do that, we're not gonna be shaken. We're not gonna be discouraged. We're not gonna be distracted by the lies of the enemy because we will know that he has already been defeated once and for all. And so we just pick ourselves back up and we just keep moving forward into the future that God has for us. And that starts for you and for me by stepping in to a relationship with Jesus Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you here today and you say, Pastor Blake, I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but today I would like to, and I'd like to once and for all, step into a relationship with him so that I don't have to be a failure, I can just be a faller because of the love of Jesus Christ, I'm gonna be able to pick myself up and place my feet on his firm foundation and move forward into the future of what God has in store for me. If that's you this morning and you'd like to step into a relationship with Jesus today, would you just make that known to your father by raising your hand? You can just stick it up really quickly and put it right back down. Just put it up and put it right back down. That's you today. I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. It's going to be on the screen behind me if you need it. But can we just pray this prayer together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen because of Jesus falling doesn't have to be final the difference between failing and falling is simply whether or not we get back up so this morning I invite you to respond to the word of the Lord by simply standing up and we're going to sing a song that solidifies our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ and him alone that he and his love for us is our firm foundation today. So all over this house, let's stand and let's worship the Lord together. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.